Why do we have to say goodbye? Wouldn't it just be better to live in this faraway land forever? This wouldn't be so hard, you know, if time was on our side. We could keep murdering and creating, plotting and pretending over lunch and dinner. What if we do this and that here, and then that and this there? They'll always want more, you know. They'll never get enough. And on the seventh day, he looked on his work and thought it good. Though I'm not sure that's for us to say. Okay, subvert here, subtract there. Maybe one day we might finally get it right. Welcome to Coruscantkin, an entertainment podcast where two brothers talk about the things they love watching. I'm Rob. And I'm Tommy. Today, we're saying goodbye to Game of Thrones. Yeah, man. Now, before we move on, Rob, let's just take a moment here to reflect on how years of work ended in, how many minutes was it, 82? 80? 80 minutes? Yeah. When the credits rolled, how did you feel? Oh, we really limped across the finish line, didn't we? I expected, you know, after watching, finishing season one nine years ago, I expected that the end of this series would be, I would feel exhausted and relieved. I did not think that I would be exhausted and relieved in this way. <laughs> what about you? I think it it was actually ruined for me from the very beginning. So I went in thinking, oh, wow. Um, just after Tyrion's first scene, I didn't really feel the impact of it. Yet I thought Peter Dinklage uh, was giving the best effort. I feel like the characters ended up in the right place. And that's not what I'm upset about. I just feel like I was not emotionally attached to the ending. Yeah, I mean, I'd already been pretty emotionally detached once Daenerys, you know, kills everybody with, for no rhyme or reason. There were great visuals and good moments that if you would have given me another season or four more episodes, I might have had time to build up emotions for these characters again. You might have been able to given me a post uh, post-war King's Landing or post Danny going on her rage, give me that for a few episodes where you actually give Kit Harrington a chance to act and give him a chance to say great lines to Danny. We she her and we discussed this last time, her sudden jump to destroy the city was rushed. A decision a decision made in production just based on who knows who knows what right but they quickly had to have her do this we didn't get the the build up to it we didn't get the um the conflict through dialogue and enough enough time of her of the audience seeing her descent okay same here like there wasn't enough time for us to soak in what had happened all we get is kind of a walk through the city and then Arya's perspective from that last episode. And it really makes the death of Danny seem like ripping off a band-aid and just moving forward. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that this is two seasons worth of narrative that was 
cut and condensed into six episodes for whatever reason. But this is what we're given, and we can keep going on and on about what could have been and rewrite these scenes and extend these scenes. And I think a lot of people have done that already, and I think ultimately what we're going to find at the end of that discussion is it's not going to come to anything. So you want to start with just unpacking the, the yeah, very talk. little, the very little bit of re- relevant bits of this last episode, and then we can. Yeah, let's quickly let's quickly recap what happened to, for to everybody. Bigger, better things. So you didn't like the scene with with Tyrion where he he takes a torch and goes down into the the foundations of the Red Keep. No, and I think a lot of people were upset. The visual we got at the end of the last of episode five is of Jamie and Cersei in that chamber. And it looks like the whole room collapses on them. At least that's what I thought. And that's fine. A little bit of movie magic. But Tyrion walks in, and it seems like there's a pile of bricks in on one side of the room and in separate parts of the room. But for the most part, it looks like there are some places where Tyrion's not having to step over some cinder blocks or bricks to get to his um, dead family. I think that's what ruined it. Is just seeing that and being like confused. I thought that maybe he doesn't find her, find them that easily, or the scene could have gone a little differently. But I mean, that's, you know, that's, I know that's not a huge issue for you. No, I mean, I'll agree that, you know, perhaps it is lazy continuity, but I think that, like, for me at least, the impact of the scene, what the scene is trying to do, is not diminished. I think Dinklage carries this scene hard, and he carries, like, the first. Actually, the, this entire episode really is, yeah. is on the back of Peter Dinklage. Most definitely. Like, his his ability, and this happened in the Battle of Winterfell too. his ability to just uh, strike, strike that pose and that look of just thinking about the terror or the tyranny or the battle to come is amazing. The first look he gives us in this episode, really good. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that the plot and the dialogue wasn't there to support him, uh, mainly his character. Not not in saying his dialogue was terrible, but there wasn't enough supporting around him to make it good. I think one of the interesting things about this scene, um, the digging through the rubble to find his brother and sister, is that this is kind of the only period of mourning we're going to get about what happened in King's Landing, what... Yeah, like the consequences of Danny's destruction of Kingsland War, where it's only going to be through Tyrion's eyes as he uncovers his dead brother and sister. And I think that from that perspective, I think we're pretty sympathetic. However, I, I think from a larger perspective, we're looking at Jamie and Cersei, two incestuous lovers. Like, how sympathetic about that are we going to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that there there are two kind of things working at odds against each other. Uh, but nevertheless, again, I think I think Dinklage sells it. I think it's a horrible thing watching him remove brick by brick, and and both like both the audience and Tyrion know what's on the other side of this like pile of rubble, right? So, um, yeah, I, I you know I. I agree that, yeah, I mean, the setting could have been done differently, I suppose. But, I mean, for me, it worked. The mise-en-scene, as the French would say. 
Then Danny gives her first speech as Queen of Westeros. Westeros. It's really nice. It's very powerful. It's. How did the Dro- Dothraki hear her? <laughs> you know, that's that's another thing, little thing too, where just some logical things are not really. But it may. It's like there's no fucking microphone, man. Even Hitler was mic'd up, right? Right. Did you get a Hitler vibe from the speech? I think. I mean, I think that's what they were going for. This shot of her walking up with uh, Drogon flying up behind her is sick. Oh, it's very cool. It also reminded me of the opening scene from Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic. So I was a little thrown there. Because yeah, Elton has this really, I mean, gaudy getup. It was like, like, why wouldn't he? Uh, that had like he's basically like a devil or a dragon, demon sort of thing, bright orange wings. And the opening scene is him like crashing through this hallway in that costume. How was that? You know, at the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the best feel-good movie of the year. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's worth a watch. It's a lot like... Wait wait for it to come out on DVD? I mean, I think it depends on how much of an Elton Blue John Ray. fan Netflix. you are. I think that if you like Elton John's music, you're going to get a kick out of it. Because okay. it is kind of like a half musical. And my takeaway from it was, like, it's it's a fine two-hour movie that probably really just wants to be, like, a three, three-and-a-half-hour full-blown stage production. Like, I think that's where it really wants to live. And so that was interesting. Maybe this is what we should have this episode be about. <laughs> just just, your, just, just me, me talking about Rocket Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, uh, I mean, Taron Egerton's great in it. I mean, quite good. Uh, I think he does a lot of the singing, so. Oh, well, we have to digress. Let's get back to Let's get back to Thrones. The speech, the speech was, I think, what it needed to be. Oh, there's some content in the speech too that's interesting, right? That you know, she liberates King's Landing. Liberates is her word. King's Landing, and now it's like, okay, well, we're gonna take our our show to Dorne. <laughs> we're gonna mm-hmm. take it to the Iron Islands. We're gonna take it everywhere, because everybody needs to be liberated by my hand, mm-hmm. as I see it. And that's kind of scary, right? That's a little, that's a little haunting. Um. We have John in the background listening, kind of. I don't know how, how much Valyrian John has picked up in his time. And then Tyrion shows up and resigns his hand to the king. Yeah, now Tyrion resigning is sick. Him chucking his little pin. Catapult. Yeah, I think just how blunt his line is, too, before and you slaughtered a city. Yeah, I just point blank. Yeah, that, I, the delivery on that was yeah. amazing. Thank you, Peter um, Dinklage, for your work. Thank yeah. you. It's a bit weird that Danny just arrests him and doesn't execute him on the spot. Yeah, I, it's like yeah, you know, sure, and, she's and, jumping and, around a little bit. And, you know, we we followed John before this up to Danny's throne, like the the assembly area, and we see Grey Worm just like executing Lannisters like it's no big deal. Everyone's still got this like war fervor going Mm -hmm. on you know in danny's camp so it's strange to me that like everyone has like this presence of mind to like okay well we'll put people on trial still yeah as if we're not the absolute power in the realm at this moment so yeah those things are a little convenient uh to me uh yeah like uh, yeah but all this is to build up this this set piece right this conversation between john and Tyrion, where again Tyrion is tasked by the show owners to basically explain 
what's about to happen next. Like, explain the rationale for what's about to happen next. And he, uh, Tyrion, in this conversation with John, basically lines up, like, how Daenerys became the Mad Queen or this this fiery tyrant, whatever terms you want to use. It doesn't all add up. I mean, we covered it last episode yeah. that it doesn't really add up, but this is what we're given. And yeah, it just kind of seems like he's repeating what we were saying, but then he's like... But just comes to a different conclusion, yeah, he's <laughs> like, like randomly? Just, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like they're trying to justify the... I don't, I don't know. You get two seasons the and six bad, episodes. The bad information. Two seasons and six episodes. Like, the culmination yeah. of this conversation is, John, you need to kill her. You need to do it. You're the only one who's going to get in close because we don't know what to do with Arya anymore. So it's going to be you, John. It has to be you. And 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 John walks up to the throne room. Uh, Amelia Clark does a really good job in this this throne room scene. This throne room scene. And we should probably like slow down here. And this is like I think for me this is like one of the only two like actual scenes worth a damn in this entire episode. Mm-hmm. And. We see Danny completely, like, mentally removed, checked out from the world she's in. Um, she's happy. She's enthusiastic. And she says some really scary things while doing so that, for me, also evoke that, like, Hitler, Mussolini-esque, like, authoritarian, just like, uh no (laughs) please no run (laughs) please run away and for whatever reason like the paranoia that she's felt this entire season is just like evaporated in this one moment and she goes into embrace john again they have the exact same conversation they've kept having Mm -hmm. this entire season and you know john pulls out a dagger and i guess nobody saw this coming (laughs) we've kind of seen this before yeah and yeah that's not the big yeah. part, though. That's not the insane yeah. part. <laughs> We're getting to the insane part. The insane part is Droga just sits there and goes, yeah. Yeah, that that sucks. Um, well, this is all dumb, so I'm going to melt the Iron Throne and fly away. <laughs> Pointy. Pointy. Fire. <laughs> yeah. I, that, mean, that mean was funny. I, I think it, it does... It's okay. It's it does okay. spotlight like a problem with this scene, and especially Drogon's action... And that we never really got a clear idea of how smart Drogon is. And Mm -hmm. so you either get this, like, really, like, bogus but low-minded angle of, like, oh, Drogon just thought the throne killed her. And in a way it did. But And then you have this other, like, the only other way you can take this is that Drogon has, like, this really high-minded idea of what the Iron Throne (laughs) is and how it corrupts people. (laughs) And it's just like, okay, fuck it. (laughs) I... This scene, this scene in particular, I think could have gone a different route, um, and it's hard for me to know. Like, do you think this is how Martin says it goes down, or did Martin just tell them the ending, and they were like, "Okay, well, we'll kind of make up the set piece in the action." I think if we ever see a Dream of Spring, I think this scene almost is going to be exactly as written. I think the only thing that diff- that's different maybe is that Daenerys is more fleshed out, like in the in the way that we get to this point. So that that's a little bit more palatable, mm. but I think that to- Martin has gone out and said that like he has, 
envision this world, the structure of the world, uh, the narrative dynamic of the world around Tolkien. And I think that, you know, there is this element of Mount Doom and Frodo and, you know, destroying the ring and watching Drogon melt the Iron Throne. Um, they're both corrupting objects. They're objects of immense desire and immense power um, that, like, you know, weaken man at the knees. Um, from there, the, 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 the points diverge. I think what's really fascinating about the ring and Lord of the Rings is that the power that everyone wants is actually completely inert to those that wield it except for Sauron, and yet people want it anyway. Even though I, I think on some level they know that like the the ring isn't going to do anything for them, mm-hmm. whereas like the Iron Throne is you know a seat of power. Like, you know, sure it corrupts and maybe it does weaken the individual. Like heavy is the head that wears the crown. There is like this Shakespearean idea to it, but I it's still it's I just still think once more we have an inconsistency of power of the dragon. I just watched him tear apart a city, and then it took him a good few minutes to melt this throne. Well, that's, there's an interesting thing about that, and it, this is foregrounded in the show, although it's not a huge part of the throne. The, the throne is forged in Dragonfire, so it would make sense that it would take some time for Dragonfire. Okay, sure. Oh. Okay, sure. Fine. Take that. I think there could have been at least a little more of a confrontation between Drogon and Aegon. Right, show me, give me some validation that John is Aegon. Show me for once, as the viewer, that this isn't just a rumor. Yes, he flew the dragon, and I guess that's enough. But I wanted to see him get scorched. And because the the thing that also too is that that they just didn't write out, which maybe Martin will write out, is when Drogon picks up Danny, flies away. Okay, so now. Now John's just alone. How does he get discovered? Who discovers him? Grey Worm walks in and is like, where did she go? Yeah, Drogon knows <laughs> And he's like, he has to explain, uh, well, I You're stabbed her in the heart. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I stabbed her in the heart and then Drogon looked at me, didn't kill me, uh, then lit the, melted the Iron Throne, picked her up and flew away. Because at that point... Two, why I almost thought I thought I really thought that uh John and Drogon would end up together somehow, and that might happen in the future. Maybe we see something there. Um, but I, I guess I'm okay with that because setting up this new like star crossed lovers spinoff. I mean, John and the also, North, too, I just I expected Drogon to see in the East. an extremely just post traumatic across the um, John, yeah, just. Uh, there, there could have been something way better. Like, he could have rode off on Drogon and, like, disappeared and everyone's freaking the fuck out, but then he comes back. Uh, maybe something a little different. I wanted to see maybe it would be interesting if they actually interacted with the throne, if we got an image of John sitting, like, like let's say they were making out in front of the throne, right? And then he kills her, and as she's falling down, you know, he's, like, trying to let her down easily... He like falls back into the throne, sitting down in it while he's holding her. I think that's a very powerful image, and it's we Aegon finally sits on the throne, right? You know, something like that. I mean, do you feel like that's too fan servicey, or do you feel like that's too cheesy? Because I feel like that's just a great visual that I wish I would have seen. I think, given the arc of the characters and how we got to that moment. 
it would probably be way too heavy-handed. It wouldn't be wouldn't feel earned, because again, like Kit and Amelia don't have great chemistry. The relationship between Danny and John hasn't moved at all since the start of this season. So, just to jump from from that point to, you know, a, this this intense metaphor, and we're like already kind of criticizing the metaphor of Drogon throwing like burning the throne. So, yeah, I think it would just you know hmm. double down on. Okay, well, you want this scene to mean a lot, but it it just doesn't. And maybe it's it, just it a just, problem it with isn't, the lead up to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was something else in your explanation that I wanted to cover. So yeah, we don't see how John gets arrested or or the manner in which he does, and it is strange because you know Drogon flies away with the evidence. I assume that John just tells Grey Worm or whoever just right, admits like just to it. That seems honest. like something yeah. John would do. That said, that's such an interesting character moment for me that I would have loved to see that. Yeah, Jesus. Not only I thought the walk up to meeting with Daenerys was great. I think I think Kit Harrington really did a good job in in that meeting with Tyr- with Tyrion. Um, as an actor, he executed very well. I think his dialogue was still weak. I think it's been weak this whole season, but like the, I could feel him having a panic attack because he was consciously thinking about murdering his queen. Yeah. By the way, once he does, he basically no longer becomes a Targaryen in like the scope of the show. Like we never think of John as Targaryen because he's like. The legit heir to the throne now, after Danny is gone. Like, he's the only Targaryen left. We don't really touch on that ever again. In fact, there's very little we do with Jon being a Targaryen past Danny's paranoia in this entire season. Yeah. it. And that's also something that we just needed more episodes for. But then afterwards, the remaining lords and ladies meet in the dragon pen. And yeah. this is where I feel like maybe the show couldn't demonstrate enough time, which I'm okay with. Nonetheless, um, it Tyrion is brought by Grey Worm in there to discuss his fate and Jon Snow's fate. I thought Jon Snow should have been in this meeting. I thought we should have gotten something from him. Uh, from his character, there could have been a lot of motion. And because the option is there, right there in front of everybody, the true heir to the throne. But then Great Worm, you know, asks, okay, well, what are you guys going to do? But there is no, there is no king. So Tyrion classically presents the third option. Right, yeah, once again, it's on, it's, it's on Peter Dinklage to <laughs> just to, fucking carry this show to explain their way out of this one yeah it's it's a weird scene i don't know what john adds i mean i i agree that like the fact that john is just like entirely absent for a large part of the rest of the episode is rather strange given that he is the other of the two protagonists that have kind of been carrying the series so far yeah, uh, I mean, there are a lot of weird things that are going on here. Um, you know, Grey Worm tells Tyrion to shut up. He shuts up, and then Tyrion monologues, like, maybe not 30 <laughs> yeah, seconds after. It's like, okay. Well. Yeah, Grey Worm, Grey Worm doesn't seem to maintain his power dynamic there. It comes in really hot at the beginning, but then 
just backs off and is like standing there as they discuss the future and completely change the realm yeah um i thought that everyone was really polite got over daenerys's death really quickly i mean we have danny's allies in the new prince of dorne which i and, guess it was nice for him to show and, up at some point to recall um you know there's always a stark in winterfell and then all the starks are not in winterfell I'm not really sure because they just said fuck off to to that role yeah yeah that's true that's interesting i hadn't thought of that but yeah you're right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i mean bran on the throne okay so bran the broken bran the broken king of westeros lord of the six kingdoms not the seven because Sansa shoots her shot and, man, like, manages to maintain autonomy. I think she wins the game, right? This was, like, the prize for Sansa. That's why so you I, vote I, last. You know, I am declaring here Sansa won. Team Sansa won. Yeah. We won the game. Yara's looking over at Sansa as she declares that the North is independent and is like, what? I didn't know this was an, was an option. Yeah, that's really I funny. I could pick that? Yeah, that, that Dorne and, and the Iron Islands just don't jump on that. Yeah, let's talk about the... the the crown has never been weaker here in this moment, right? Sansa holds the only standing army worth a shit. Uh, the Iron Islands and Dorne both have the only navies that are worth a shit. So yeah, I, well, I, mean, I, do, like, I mean, do the Iron Islands? Well, yeah, yeah, okay, Yara does have her. Okay. So yeah, I think it's really easy for there to just be another power grab, and we see this like vicious circle continue. But no, we're gonna we're gonna pretend for a moment that everyone could get along with it. We're gonna shoot down democracy, and it's probably <laughs> for the best that we did. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a, a funny little joke there. Um, do you, man, Bran? I feel like it. It structurally it makes sense. So you bought the Tyrion explanation for why we should put him on. Yeah, I mean the the stories that they discuss that discuss you know when they talk for a long time. I I get it. I guess Tyrion really got to know Bran right away. It makes sense. I think it's very like Professor uh, Professor X, you know Charles Xavier. That's what Bran reminds me of now. Okay, okay, sure, but Charles Xavier like is capable of empathy. I'm not necessarily sure the Three-Eyed Raven is. He seems sincerely yeah. like like quite apathetic. Yeah, and, to and, the plight of man at, as soon as the White Walkers are defeated, like everything like the only reason he's with mankind is because they're the only army worth a shit to face the White Walkers past that though. Does he not just check out? I I just think it's also a little inconsistent too about I may this might just be the dialogue that they wrote where he's just like um and why do you think I came all this way? It's like, what do you uh, mean, bro? You've been saying, I don't want it. So I think that was a joke. Now. I think that was a joke. I think it was supposed okay. to be funny. But the delivery was off. Bran doesn't really make jokes. Okay. So I think that threw everyone off. Because everywhere else, he seems pretty consistent. Like, I don't want to be king. Like, this yeah. isn't why I'm And here. that's why it's annoying, too, to have two of those... um, Kind of two of those uh, stories going on where they both say the same thing, John and Bran. I don't want it. I don't want it. Like, you have both of these characters who don't want it, and then, oh, okay, well, guess what? One's going to take it. Yeah, I think... And Bran the Broken. How do we feel about Bran the Broken? 
Really? Sketchy? That's fine. I mean, I didn't mind it that much. I think that given how tumultuous the previous rulers have been and how... Great SAT word. Yeah. Define it. How... Topsy-turvy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is the easiest way to think go about that. Um, But given just how unloved rulers tend to be, how terrible the job seems to be, the life expectancy obviously pretty short as well. Kind of makes sense that no one would want it by the end. And part of me is just like, well, why not just give it to Edmure Tully? I mean, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I would make an argument, too, that it Tyrion still ends up on the throne. I think Tyrion, and and the, from what we see moving forward, and let's let's talk about how how this all ends. So when Bran is elected, we then get to see the kind of them closing all of the loose ends or tying up all the loose ends. Um, Tyrion's named hand of the king, and he doesn't want it. And he talks about all the terrible deeds he's done, but. There's no escaping that because that's how you're going to serve the rest of the realm and the, the remaining kingdoms. Um, then he builds his council, and we see that first meeting. Of well, assume his, I assume it's sketch comedy the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like a badass SNL skit. I will say, like going back to your point, I think that you know, Tywin Lannister. At one point, basically claimed that like the the position of power in the realm was actually handed to the king. So I think that like your point that Tyrion may be the most powerful person actually in the realm is perhaps accurate. At the same time, Tywin was handed the king when uh, an idiot boy king was king. Uh, we are led to believe that Bran slash the Three Eyed Raven is pretty intelligent, and this whole idea um, one of the stronger points of Tyrion's argument for making Bran king is that he has this entire trove of history to pull upon and, and the idea that, that history is cyclical and you know it repeats itself over and over again that like that would help and i don't disagree with that i said yeah i, I mean Tyrion gets to pull the strings he has brawn <laughs> shows up as master of coin yeah i think that was god damn it's a clever that's a clever little ending but that's all we get there's no fuck come on how like much Bron- more do you want, though? Really, I don't know, but I, like I, at this point, I think I just want them. You know, I think to, if to I went back and up. watched a montage of like all of Bronn's scenes, and then could like have a collective history of what he's done, I would think, okay, this is like logical and cool. But I mean, how do you feel about it? Like a greedy character now owns a coin. <laughs> yeah, the opportunist gets the master of coin and is Lord of Highgarden. Yeah. I mean, he is. He does protect. It doesn't our... bother me at all. Actually, it really doesn't. I mean, I I don't like the scene with the crossbow earlier with Braun. I thought that you basically like throw that out. But I guess you need him to ask for High Garden somehow. Yeah, and that's how he does it. But I, I mean, seeing Braun at the end, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, it it does kind of speak to how many important, intelligent people have died <laughs> in this entire conflict that. Braun is the best you can do for Master of Coin. When Braun's relationship with Coin is, is quite binary, and that I will do things for money. Yeah, and that's about it. And what do we think about Sir Davos? 
Uh, Sardavis' Master of Ships is cool, I guess. I mean, I mean again, he's like, seen some shit, man. Like, Poor guy. I, I mean, you wouldn't really pick anyone different, I guess. I like that he corrects, was it, bronze grammar? It's pretty funny yeah. because he couldn't read at the <laughs> beginning of the show. So that's nice. Again, like these are like really like nice moments that are just, you know, kind of like little pats on the head, you know, the, these, these, these head nods to, Hey, remember when this happens? Look, look how, look how much fun we're having here. Yeah. And keep in mind when this scene is happening, there's still like 30 minutes of this show, like the episode left. Mm-hmm. It's just like, Oh man, this is grating. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of weird. Yeah. I almost felt like it was over. I thought they were about to roll credits as soon as he like set up the chairs. It's like, Oh shit. Um, but yeah, Samuel as the grand maester, it's pretty logical, right? Kind of. Yeah, I'm surprised the Citadel let him back in, but he was right, I suppose, and they were all wrong. So, yeah, didn't bother I, me that much. The book is ugh, heavy-handed as hell. Yeah. Oh, Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a fitting title. Yeah. Oh, and then Tyrion's not in it? Okay. So here's the thing about this book, right? As long as the Three-Eyed Raven or Bran is alive, he is like the true chronicle of man. Like, because it's pure, it's not tainted, it's not prone to any bias that that any writers of history mm-hmm. would have. So how much, like, value is in that book? You, you know what I, you, you get what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Like, like... Yeah. A Song of Ice and Fire, this book, is worth a lot less than just Bran, Bran like, say? dictating yeah. what happens. And Bran's dictated version would certainly have Tyrion in it. So, all of this stuff seemed hollow and, and very self-congratulatory. This whole scene seems masturbatory as hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would say that, like, some of it is earned if if this, like, if the show ended, you know, correctly... Uh, in terms of you know pacing and plotting and but it didn't so yeah it's just like kinda, all of us just, are just sitting there just groaning yeah it's just forth, forced uh catharsis pretty much uh then i think brianne gives us a pretty nice moment even though oh, it's kind of a weird uh weird thing to conclude so quickly but sealing jamie's legacy i thought the book actually was i like this scene i, th- I thought it was interesting to see that really actually made the Kingslayer bit a bit more powerful, because yeah, I think you know, this scene does more for Jamie than than it does for Brienne. Oh, for sure, yeah. most definitely. I think having a visual of oh wow, all of these knights have these long stories of them winning battles, doing great deeds. They're known for so many things, and Jamie's was cut so short. We have that visualized, like having a visual of that. Man, if you would have given me that earlier in the show. Maybe that would have made it just that much better to have her like finish out writing it because he's done so many things and have him freaking die or something. I don't know. Um, it was pretty good. Then she cuts. Uh, she uh, closes the book way too fast, though. She did not let the ink dry. Yeah, I also just really like the Mean Girls memes. Yeah, <laughs> just are... so many memes, man. Yeah, so many memes. So many good Dude, memes. Th- this will be generating memes for years. There's going to be subreddits dedicated. Maybe, maybe. I hope people just forget to move on. No, there's yeah. going to be memes forever. All right, we want to talk about the Stark children, where the Stark children end up. Yeah, this, oh my gosh, give me one. this Lord of the Rings ending right now. Yeah. So, Let's wrap it all up with <laughs> yeah. pretty little bows. Arya decides to sail west to go live with the elves. The west of Westeros. Yeah. Full, one, full 360. 
so look uh, speaking like this is a complete 180 again for her character uh there are like two lines of like throwaway dialogue two seasons ago where she just asks what's west of westeros uh to uh one of the troop actresses who rescues her yeah after she stabbed uh, uh, um in bravos but past that never never we never really got the idea that like yeah Arya's just dude, like she's just going really all, curious about this dude she's just going all over the place man they just literally took her and they're like screw it yeah, we're just gonna I'm write her board, in any direction i'm on we board want. with Arya having some sort of identity crisis like after she completes her list yes i think but she never completes her list she's just yeah. like sandor just says it's okay you can go now and Arya's like oh i've been touched now I, at the same time i do i do really like the interaction like not gonna lie it hit me and hit the feels it got me in my feels uh her talking to john only because I think uh, I think Macy Williams did a really good job of giving me that emotion of dude I have seen all of this shit and killed all of these people and been so motivated by vengeance that now I'm not you know yeah I'm having this identity crisis I don't I'm filled with PTSD I can't stick around these lands and keep living a normal life or live while my sister's queen and my brother's king and be privileged and you know like she's just been running her whole life she's been running gun her whole life i like i like that she wants to keep going away from everything um i mean she's pretty much saying like hey guys i'm i'm dead to you all essentially um i think it's powerful and i think it's the one spinoff that if they decide to make it or the stories you know that i think that's it it's easy it's easy to have the assassin who can kill anybody and who's like the hero just go off and be you know solo dolo um but i think it's i think it's fair and i thought that trade-off was pretty good dora 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 the explorer (laughs) yeah i don't know man i I agree that i think that this is definitely a potential spinoff i think Maisie Williams, I agree with you, has come a long way and was one of the pleasant surprises, I think, in this show, particularly from 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 a talent perspective. And yeah, I mean, since we're back to square one with Arya, it makes a lot of sense as a spinoff. Like, we're not having to, you know, concoct, like, this new character arc for her because she doesn't really have one anymore. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh... Yeah, but let's move on to Sansa, though. She's Queen of the North. Queen of the Sansa North. Wins. Sansa wins the game. Queen of the right. North. All I could think about when she does become Queen of the North is when uh, Joffrey comes into power, and I think it's like one of their first interactions while Joffrey's sitting on the throne, and he like starts making Sansa undress, and then Tyrion comes in and like saves her mm-hmm. and um you know pretty much is giving her a chance to flee and get away from joffrey and you know she's like no i, I love my queen or I, I love my king and he's like oh you might you might win this yet or it says something to that effect like mm-hmm. you, you might be as smart as i think you are um super cool super cool that i think her character arc was actually done pretty solid um i think it's my favorite in the show actually yeah yeah and i think it's yeah and i don't think any amount of dialogue really ruined her this season 
Sophie Turner seemed to execute it really well. Um, I think a lot of her scenes were super powerful, uh, especially between her and Peter Dinklage. So bravo to them. Um, yeah, but possible spinoff there though. Some North stories. You think Turner's Turner's done? No, I think Sophie Turner's done. She's got to be Jean Grey and Dark Phoenix, and after that, hopefully, goes on to bigger and better things. Yeah. Now, the most interesting part is John joining the Night's Watch again as his punishment. Yeah. But it's okay. just like. <laughs> yeah, we got to unpack this a little bit. Okay, so John's arrested, presumably for treason, high crimes against the Crown for killing Daenerys what have you gray worm and in conjunction the entire unsullied basically want his head so as a compromise brand sends john to the night's watch as as penance for this crime and the unsullied who were offered lands in the reach say no we're gonna go to the isle of north where but how do they reproduce? Home. How do they even have a house? They, they can't. No, they. So there are a lot, a lot of logistical things. But <laughs> are, it's like, hey, you can have your own land so, and start so your own we house. Have, so Good we luck. have the Unsullied leave, the Dothraki leave, and Westeros is just a bunch of white people again. Like at the end of the day, all the white people get all of the land. And the minorities have to fuck off. Like, not a great look. And I'm wondering when this is going to catch on that, like, there's not really a lot of reason why both of these groups of people have to leave. Well, they're just, they're just tools to get us to this ending. And that's very clear from how it's written. And that's another issue with this season is that the Dothraki and Unsullied seem to just have an infinite number of soldiers. And even though we lost half in the Battle of Winterfell, when they're all at the Red Keep, it's like, Jesus Christ, she has a huge army. Did she lose anybody? I thought there was some friendly fire going on. No? She just has more Dothraki than in the Battle of Winterfell. And just so, so thrown off on... How many are left? And then, like, Dothraki are just like, oh, yeah, like, see ya. Like, is there another call? Like. Yeah, like. <laughs> peaceful retreat doesn't really seem in line with the Dothraki, particularly since Daenerys was kind of the only one who gave them, like, any assemblance of civility. Exactly. Exactly. So, with her gone, you just, like, they, they just couldn't tie them. Would they not yeah. go back to, like, their marauding, pillaging ways, like the Mongols? I don't know. And then, but then, okay, let's go back to John. We're digressing too far. John goes to the wall, and, oh, Tormund's there, and a bunch of wildlings. Oh, and he pets a ghost. Oh, my God, yay. Um, but Do you yeah, want to talk just, about, like, the Night's Watch? Like, what, what, are the night, what are the Night's Watch watching for? Yeah, it's like, like what's the, what's the point? Gone? We kind of understand. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. And then, you know, them them marching north north into the forest where the series began, where they discovered the first White Walker. Or, yeah, oh, we some we ever see that parallelism. Yeah, there. some parallelism. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's actually a mixture of the Game of Thrones theme with, uh, the theme of John or um or of the Stark 
theme the, make sure the main theme of the intro and then like the stark mm. something like that yeah i don't think i, I missed that, that time around um yeah anyways oh Tormund's it's like why why you have all these characters saying goodbye and then coming back so conveniently but um i mean i guess i'm okay with that i just feel like whenever john gets out of prison it's a sudden like it's like not enough was given to me through the dialogue and through his actions and what he looks like to indicate that him killing Danny was really an issue. Um, besides the scene where you see him in prison and he looks a little gross, that's it. And that's why I make an argument for having a weird or not a weird, but a different ending uh, in the throne room, because I think it would make sense if, and maybe maybe it would be pretty good if John just left, right? He just took off. And maybe there's some sign of that, or maybe he tells somebody, but he just vacated, you know, he just leaves before he can get in prison. He just, you know, just goes to the north and just leaves us completely um, because he's so, you know, so torn up, right? How can he be sane anymore when he's had to do this so many times? Yeah, in the run-up when we were predicting this last episode, I, I said that, you know, I mean, Danny dies one way or another, right? And then, you know, John inherits the throne and then, like, pretty much immediately abdicates because he doesn't want it and probably goes to retire up north. And as since we got that, we, we, we got there, it was a really roundabout way. It was a very clean way of doing it. And there were a lot of things we just kind of ignored, one of them being Varys has sent many missives to presumably many lords around the realm mm-hmm. regarding John's true Yeah, we just said fuck off to all heritage. that. Yeah, yeah, we kind of just like hung that out to try. And this goes back to again that like as soon as John kills Danny, like for the purposes of the show, he just stops becoming a Targaryen and he is back to base Jon Snow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind Tormund and Snow being up there. He's got to have friends. Yeah, that. Yeah, I want the bro. I want the bromance to continue. He's got friends in cold places. Yeah, I mean, what are overall Other our thoughts? Smoked rounds. Let's expectations chase. versus what we got. Uh, I mean, did not did not uh, meet my expectations at all. I mean, that's. Uh, I think a lot of people might be jumping on a bandwagon here and piggybacking it off of others' thoughts. But you said this in a conversation that we had a while back that it's not about me being able to write it better. Um, it That's not why we're critiquing this and being so hard on it. It's not because we can do it better. However, I kind of feel like you could have done it better, Rob. I feel like this could have been done better, and it sucks that I feel this way about a show that has been good to me for a lot of years, for many years. Um, it sucks that it's wrapped up so quickly, I, from a production standpoint, I get it. I get that we want to move on. I think even in six episodes, you can give me six better episodes. Or at least you can give me the last, the last two can be a bit better. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as beat up as you are just because I kind of already knew we were on this trajectory, like, after episode two. Like, uh, we don't really seem to have control. We're, we're skipping a lot of steps here. And then, I mean, with how empty the Battle of Winterfell was, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we we don't have time. Like we, this show 
desperately needed more time to tell the story it wanted to tell and we're just we just don't have that for whatever reason um i'm not going to you know outright and claim it's because bnd just wanted to fuck off and write star wars yeah i i think the characters ended up where i thought they would that's okay i'm okay with that and, and, given mean, us more. and yeah for the people who did like this episode and there are those out there um and you know generally i mean especially with like digital discourse we get the people who hate the stuff are much louder than the people who like the stuff so we never really get an accurate like representation of like how many people are actually satisfied but for the people who did like the show yeah they like you didn't mind where the characters wound up and that was enough for them the like their viewing of this episode and of the show as a whole was very results oriented whereas i think our listeners given the way we've talked about this, we're much more process oriented and the way uh, we get, get joy and, and pleasure from watching these stories. So that was interesting to me. And just thinking about that, that like, are they necessarily wrong for just like, okay, I just want John to be here and Bran to be here and Tyrion to be here as long as i get those things no matter how they happen i'm going to be satisfied yeah yeah um that's probably never a viewing i'm gonna be able to like it's all about the journey not the destination but it it brings up this interesting idea and i I, and this isn't and i just want to hear what your what your take is on this and it's maybe it's unique to to this this kind of serial narrative that we have where you can criticize an episode or, or, or take uh, a show an episode at a time and just say this episode sucks, but this one's great and, and just go episode by episode and just like go in blank slate as soon as the episode starts. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't have any <clears throat> previous mm-hmm. expectations. Nothing is informing my opinion of this episode before it starts. I'm just going to enjoy this one note episode. There is another take where you can take it by season um, I think we're going to do like, a little bit further this podcast. We're going to talk a lot about seasons and that like seasons one through X were very strong. And then season X, you know, season six was fine. And then season seven was like, ah, and then season eight, you know, was an old spice commercial. And, but then we can take it a- as a whole, as an entire series, like what, like from beginning to end the entire show and, that changes our argument too, does it not? So I guess my question for you is, is, is how do we differentiate between all of these modes in which we can interpret or, or analyze the show? And how, and how, are we, <clears throat> excuse me, how are we supposed to as well? You know, and that's, yeah, I mean, there are no rules. Yeah, there are no, am I supposed to go into each episode blank slate um, as a critic I think there's a va- there's good value in that because there are a lot of good things going on here. I mean, we are being extremely picky, and it's a really hard job. It's a hard job to end all of this and meet everyone's expectations. Um, and you know, you know, you can look at Reddit and you can look at what your fans are saying. It's pretty easy nowadays, but you know, I'll give them that. Um, and every week I was really, it's like, was it the performance of the last episode that made me really want to see the next episode? 
I guess, in some way. I mean, I was still dying to get to Sunday. Sunday was still my favorite day the past six weeks, waiting for these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might have also been fueled just because they leaked the information, you know, they leaked the endings, and I wanted to see... I think see... that was a tactical leak, too. Yeah, you said that, but... <sighs> I don't know, man. It's like, what are, I want to see these, you know, if they actually did film two different endings, I want to see them. And I don't, I don't know if they're out there yet. I don't want to see them. If I someone think, has them, they, email them to I, us, I please. think you can't send those out. Oh, I think you have to. I Especially with, like, how controversial this ending is, how many fans want to just rewrite the ending, or these 800,000 people who just want HBO to remake the season... Because it upset them so much, which yeah, scares the but, shit out of me, by the way. Yeah, and I don't, you know, and we we talk so much about David and DB. I mean, I think, you know, I don't, I don't hate you guys completely. Um, they've put in work. They've put in work. I. It sucks too because there's hundreds of people in the production team that we don't think about that did all of this hard work to produce these. You know, we get a movie every week. No, I think I mean, it's, every... it's absolutely important. It's paramount to differentiate between criticizing the work and criticizing the people who made the work. I think that it's perfectly fair as an audience to criticize the work. I think that you have that right. I get really concerned when we start criticizing the people who made it. Like, you can say that thing sucked. You can't say you suck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, I don't bear any ill will towards D&D. Or, the, yeah, the hundreds of people who made this this world come to life and i mean we have sat here on this podcast and praised guys like miguel sapochnik for i mm-hmm. mean throwing like visual just masterpieces in, in, in frames and direction this this entire series yeah and now let's let's talk about game of thrones uh the the entire show the entire series in retrospect what was your favorite moment if you could recall one I think at I think when Danny started raising King's Landing I was thinking to myself because at that point I had checked out like emotionally I just like I was like I have no longer invest in this and I thought to myself man I wish I felt as deeply about what I'm watching the screen now as I did watching the Red Wedding and I had read the books like I knew what was going to happen but everything was set up so perfectly, like, there's this dread. I think that, you know, they, they took great pains to make the reigns of Castamere. And not only that, but it sounds real. It, and it sounds, like, vengeance, but also kind of a dirge. Um, and yeah, I'm always going to think about that one. I think that, like, the Red Wedding encapsulates Thrones as a whole, where you you're watching and you know the characters you like have no possibility of escaping their fate because that's not the world that's not westeros that's not the world the story is told in and yet because it's fantasy or because you're human you have this slight glimmer of hope that maybe something will happen you know maybe something or someone saves the day and it just doesn't. And you're sitting there watching it. I, You know, you see Catelyn Stark just, I mean, completely stricken with grief. I, I mean, screaming silently. And that's just like a haunting image. Uh, just like 
the violence of action, the the complete disregard the camera has for, from shying away from showing it to us, the audience. And I think like all of these things combined, I think it was like just a great game of Thrones moment for me. What about you? Hmm. See, I think we might be too fresh off of the ending for me to straight up pick my favorite moment. And this might this might enrage some people, but I'm telling you, man, when Arya did stab the Night King, I know it was the destruction of <clears throat> so many things we thought her character or the direction her character was going, but that was like the only relief I felt this season, just because I was so exhausted by the end of that episode, and they had done it. And I was thinking maybe we'll get answers now and how, and that's another thing too that sucks is that we never get any answers about the work that Bran did this season or the set pieces that he put in play to get to the throne. Because in this season, I think it's, um, if you go back and watch, there's a lot of uh, scenes where he's just like in part of the scene as a character walks out to do something that's very pivotal. Um, you know, when he's just like chilling out in Winterfell, when Jamie arrives, he's chilling out in Winterfell when Samwell walks out, um, uh, from his conversation with Daenerys to go tell, uh, John about his, you know, his true identity. He has, you know, there's like a raven, but behind Sansa and Tyrion when they're talking or Sansa and Varys, I can't remember. Um, you know, there's like a bunch of little hidden things that we see visually and I just wanted some... I wanted the end of that. So it kind of reduces that moment for me afterwards. But I'll tell you when that happened, when Arya became the one who killed the Night King, I was not upset about it. I was just like, thank God. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God it's over. Like, we beat it. We won. Like, this is this is my team. Um, that is still, you know, it's an awesome moment. Uh, because I, w- I would say the first one is the red wedding, but unfortunately for me, I I really screwed up my first go around with the red wedding because um, I was binge watching through the first few seasons on HBO and I didn't understand what the red wedding was yet. I hadn't read the books, and I go to watch that episode and it wouldn't play for some reason uh, on the DVR. It just wouldn't play. Oh, did like, you get it in a recap? Y- yeah, so I oh, went to the next episode and was like, "No," as <laughs> <laughs> like previously on Game of Thrones, <laughs> and then That's I was the like, worst. "I was like, oh no, oh god, everyone died." No, um, yeah, it was the absolute worst. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of things going on with Jamie's character too that I that I really liked. Um, uh, I think Tyrion's Tyrion killing Tywin and then. Um, uh, murdering, uh, what's her, what's her name? Shay. Shay? Yeah. Yeah. Murdering Shay. I think that was like the, such a defining moment for Tyrion as a character that really hit my core pretty hard. Um, and I mean, I just love Tyrion. I think Tyrion's my favorite character. Uh, I thought he was going to be on the throne um, you know, Martin had said before that he he wished he was he if he would have been a character he would have been Tyrion. I think Tyrion has the best story. Um, he's 
by far my favorite character on the show. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I was extremely happy with kind of <clears throat> with Bran being on the throne and how his character was actually given to us last in the last episode. It made me feel like Tyrion actually has a lot of power now because Bran's just going to be off warging and doing weird things and being that like deus ex when we need him um, to give us the good information or to warg into the animal or to have, um, you know, that almost omnipotent. Yeah, I mean, we touched on like the, the apparent universe. apathy of Bran that does kind of make Tyrion kind of this human moral compass of the realm <coughs> acting as hand. My favorite Tyrion moments, because I like Tyrion a lot too, and I agree with you on his arc. My favorite Tyrion moments were when he was on trial, uh, the first time in the Eyrie, and yes, then yes. and then again in King's Landing. <clears throat> I think both of those monologues yeah. were fantastic, and I think really cemented like a lot of people's just like well, just how he uh, yeah, how he's him. always he always presents the third option. I love that he's always outside of outside of the box. Um, and then it's always interesting too how every time he's forced into battle, you know, it's that running gag like the first time he's forced into battle by his father. Well, that we see, you know, he gets knocked out and gets dragged, dragged back. You know, he's he's always getting into tricky situations and yeah. Um, <clears throat> Past yeah, I mean, my favorite character has got to be Sansa, and, and a lot of it just has to do with her character arc. Again, I love the fact that she in the beginning buys into this fairy tale prince charming wonderland idea and it's grating at first i I think that we as an audience are not really supposed to like sansa because we're seeing the rest of the world right we have a different viewpoint from her eyes that we see how gritty and violent the world is uh but from sansa we get like this this traditional fantasy trope heavy take on the world. And I think, you know, moving past that, this is what I am going to take away from the show. I like that this took the fantasy world and the fantasy genre and turned it upside down and said, no, fuck plot armor, uh, fuck heroes, fuck legends. Fuck men. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the women, the women, uh, this will rise. Yeah. This is going to, we're going to change all that. We're, we're going to tell uh, this this gritty, realistic story. We're, we're not going to cave to, at least at the beginning, we're not going to cave to this idea that magic conquers all and love conquers all. Uh, mm-hmm. Love is very problematic, as we saw in the very first episode, uh, where that manifested. And Yeah, yeah uh, the nihilism, the, the postmodern take uh, on the fantasy genre. Yeah, it, it was it was cool to see it on HBO where they tend to take storytelling so seriously. It was it was cool to see genre fiction like that become so mainstream, something that we've typically associated with like nerd culture. <clears throat> yeah, um, this is the second like fantasy thing in our lifetime. If if we don't count like the Lord of the Rings movies because the books had already been popularized by that time since Harry Potter, that like that has redefined or reimagined what the font, the fantasy genre could be to its audience. Yeah, and I think we'll, you know, Game of Thrones will have a great legacy moving forward. Uh, did bring, 
years of of great storytelling. I think there was great great a great cinematic experience. Um, this is going to be something that's going to be binged for a long time. Yeah, I'm glad that the this, this series is over. That way, people can go back to the seasons that were good and the seasons that like made us fall in love with the show and we can start talking positively about this again instead of just like berating it constantly yeah and it'll it'll be interesting to talk about the new content and um you know hopefully martin finishes the books and we can talk about them then and then uh we can look at the spinoff tv shows so we know right now that one covers the first long night when the white walkers first invaded westeros uh i think i guess you know that's why we're not getting answers from brand now um yeah, I guess, I mean, that answers why the White Walkers are just so criminal. They didn't say anything, yeah. That's, that'll be interesting. Hopefully we like it, right? Hopefully it's not, um, you know, a Phantom Menace to our uh, original trilogy. I, I am less incentivized to watch these spinoff shows. I probably will watch them. Oh, you have to because we have a podcast and we have to talk about things. Right. I'm just saying that I... Going back to you, like, always looking forward to Sundays, I'm not going to be looking forward to these <laughs> week to week. Like, yeah, I'll catch I, them when I can yeah. catch them. I'm definitely not moving. My but if David around. and DB are writing them, but I don't think they're they not. No, yeah, definitely so, not. So I, David know. and DB are all in on Star Wars right now. Yeah, hopefully they focus up. Please focus, please, please, for, <laughs> for the love of my grandma, please, and her sweet lasagna. And um, we already kind of talked <clears> like the other two. Uh, they said three spinoffs. Uh, we don't know what the other two are. I think right now, but we kind of already, you know. Yeah, something something with Arya. I, she's such a loved character. Yeah. Uh, something with Arya. I wouldn't be surprised if. Um, I don't know. I, right now, it's kind of hard to say. I feel like it's going to be a little bit before we bring back in the same actors because they're probably a little a little done with the role, uh, and especially too, you got to let the dust settle from. from yeah, what I don't happened. know how much more we can say about them either. Like the characters, like I yeah. think. I mean, unless you give me like a much older Arya uh maybe just recast you know casted someone else plays her yeah this uh, gets into like weird like harry potter territory doesn't yeah it? yeah like, we, yeah you know, and, and that get, might like, that might really ruin it like what if we just like harry it's potter like, as an adult i'm like yeah do we really want that though yeah it's like <laughs> it's the really feel weird the world of um lord of the rings is massive and it you know we haven't really touched it we haven't no one's tried to go in and make uh, a piece that's just out of the silmarillion right which uh, I think is what the show is going to be about. I'm not really sure. There's, is there a there's show note? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a an show Amazon Prime show. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. and Brian Cogman, who is one of the writers oh, of that's the right. D&D, oh. is, I think is going to be the showrunner. Okay, because so. I've been seeing some stuff on, yeah. on some subreddits about that. Okay, but cool. We should go back to, like, two uh, real quick before we move on to the rest of these spinoffs. That the scale of this TV show was really impressive too, and I think that that was something we haven't seen in television before. Westeros felt real and huge, and a lot of resources were expended to make it feel that way, and that was also really nice to see. This didn't feel like cheap fantasy. This, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I felt Winterfell. I felt King's Landing. Yeah. Um, so so those were nice little touches too. Even though I felt like it was condensed as we got to seven and eight, uh, the season seven and eight. Sure. I'm going to miss the opening title track, I think, more than anything yeah. else. That show was badass. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what other spinoffs there can be. Um, Fire and Blood, man. Oh, yeah. Fire okay, right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think that that's a possibility. We get into some weird territory. So Fire and Blood is about Aegon originally conquering Westeros from Valyria with his three dragons and his, I think, two crazy sisters. 
the problem we get into there is that there's already so much backlash with um, grief-stricken Daenerys and the irrational decisions she makes that I'm not sure we can keep going like this crazy Targaryen right. Moreover, this crazy female Targaryen route. Yeah, and like, do we? The, there well, is this. The, there is this additional backlash, and it's not entirely unfounded too. Like we talked well, about last time, that you know, and I we mean, haven't we... seen a lot of strong women in the fantasy genre, and we had a great one in Daenerys, and then it, you know, it went yeah, because like, what part of that story? We've already seen dragons conquer everything. Um. I think it'd be interesting to see him on the throne and we get a little bit of that um, preface into uh, Game of Thrones and what we've witnessed, uh, Song of Ice and Fire, right? Um, but beyond that, you know, it's kind of a similar story, right? Danny's yeah. supposed to be just kind of the embodiment yeah, like how of How interested are you in learning how Westeros was created, I guess, is that question. Um, Hall, which is, you know, this cursed castle is actually the capital uh at the time so i mean there's some lore we can build on there but yeah i agree with you like this this seems really fan service it could be it could be interesting to maybe see him before he takes off for king's landing or i mean old valyria sounds very cool yeah yeah, i I could i could be with you on maybe get me more into the dragons yeah i guess but again we saw like how much building those dragons cost so i wonder like what does the budget have to be to make this realistic and not cheap well perhaps we'll get some more information maybe when martin finishes his last two books if he does uh we'll have some more foresight into the future of game of thrones but i mean will you be reading his last books if he finishes them yeah i didn't think i would but after seeing like the last couple seasons and how they played out i'm actually like really interested in what we're missing if we're missing anything at all uh martin in a recent blog post stated that like the manuscripts between books six and seven are like three thousand pages and they're not done yet and i'm a you know i love reading but a two thousand page book Mm -hmm. is really daunting in terms of just like pacing we need an editor yeah and (laughs) uh so so that that concerns me a little um and, and I mean, he's been tweaking and tweaking and tweaking Winds of Winter forever and ever and ever now. So who knows? I I mean, the balls in his court. I like he's the only winner of this, or, or one of the few winners, I think, uh, of this debacle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just a video of him. There's a gif that I saw of him just having a blowing giant bubbles. bubble wand and yeah. blowing bubbles, and I just can't get that out of my head. As yeah. that's you know, he's he's sitting back. Yeah, he's a man in demand. Um, yeah, uh, and I think it's it'll be interesting too to see his interviews post um, post the release and everything, and see see what he's saying. Uh, I hope that I don't know. It's, hope that we just don't get a bunch of laziness from him from from the rest, because I, I think I'll be interested to read. You know, it's it's similar to Harry Potter, man. Once I saw enough movies, I was like, wow, this. I I wish I would have. Well, I mean, no, I didn't. wasn't at reading level, but I've just been lazy and not read the books, um, and I should. Uh, but what's next for us here on Course and Ken Rob? It's a good question, dude. What do you want to talk about next week? I don't know. I think it's uh, you know, it's been a long journey for us uh, covering this season. Um, things I'm most excited, make most excited about. Um, I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm for so excited for uh, nothing. For I don't know. Man. I've watched about a handful of movies. I think that we could do like a grab bag of them. We got like a little teaser of Rocket Man. Oh yeah, we did get a teaser of uh, oh, yeah, the we, new. We went and saw Detective Pikachu together. Yeah, Detective Pikachu, cute little, yeah, cute little, yeah, flick for the uh, family. John Wick three. Um, you know. Because we have this like we have this in between week, and I think that like it would be fun for us to cover Good Omens, this limited series event. Yeah, um, um, I think that'd be interesting about the uh, book of the same name. You know the the Glass Compass um, series that's coming out that actually looked really good. The Golden Compass. We got a Golden Compass. His sorry. Dark Materials. Um, yep, yeah, it looks sweet as well. We don't have a release date on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, allegedly there's a Matrix remake. I mean, John Wick is slowly that, becoming but... a Matrix remake. It seems, yeah, an homage. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, when does Once Upon a Time in Hollywood come out? It's not even. Not recently. Let me look up here. Um... I'm just hearing a lot of excuses not to see Aladdin. Yeah. Is that where we're. Neither of us are in that camp. Yeah, no, I'm not really into into godzilla either i'm not sure if uh no there's a lot of, there's a lot of things coming out though yeah june's gonna be a packed month summer's gonna be fun we'll figure I think it out far from home is really what what my what my uh what i'm set on right now yeah i'm looking forward to that as well really i think that, that you know the preview for that if you've seen it is amazing i think that the, the resolution toy story 4 uh, oh my god oh man um i didn't think that that was going to happen um man a lot of good stuff coming our way uh you know hey uh send us an email there's something you want us to cover maybe it's an old movie we can always go back in time rob we can just pick a movie yeah like bran um the lion king's coming out soon uh that'll be interesting to watch yep we'll be here we'll be talking about it that'll do it for us here today you can find our podcast on itunes and soundcloud under chorus and kin if you've got a comment or a question, you can reach out to us at chorusandkin at gmail.com. That's chorusandkin at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Well, see you next week.